Rebecca Stevenson is with us now. She is a writer, senior writer at interest.co.nz, our business commentator. Thanks very much, as always. Bex, good morning. Good morning, Catherine. Now, you want to point out to one portfolio where the Labour government has been very active, and that is commerce and consumer affairs. How so? Yeah, I think it has been really active in this particular portfolio, and I do think, you know, it's worth highlighting what it has done. Although, you know, some people would say it's just dragged us into being up now with a lot of our countries we like to compare ourselves with, such as Australia these things hadn't happened before. Um, So there are a number of things that I'd like to cover today, and one of them is market studies, which were introduced through the Commerce Amendment Act in 2018. So market studies gave the Commerce Commission the ability to do these deep probes into selected industries, analysing whether the markets were in fact competitive, working well, and what the outcome of the competition was for consumers. Now, it has certainly been a little bit torrid. I think the commission got off to quite a bumpy start. Um, It did put some noses out of joint and in particular some sectors such as the supermarkets had some real issues with how its market study played out. Um, I think though it has really improved how it has rolled out the market studies and I think you can see that with the reaction to the most recent banking market study announcement where we saw industry said it was looking for forward to working with the commission. Um, So what it's done, it's really decided it needs to get out in front of the studies. It's collaborating more with business from the jump. And it's also doing a lot more public relations, press conferences, open letters, and really talking to the media. And Chairman John Small, I think, has has really acknowledged that it has adapted its approach. Um, Consumer NZ's chief executive says the commission is now slick at those market studies. Um, In terms of what we've actually seen, uh, we have seen some interesting developments, you know, in building. um, We saw this change around land covenant laws, which happened. Um, The commission found that land covenants were being used by um, people in the industry to hamper the development of rival stores. This was the biggie with uh, with the supermarkets, yeah? Yeah, sorry, that's right, yes. Um, But it has rolled out and been found to be an issue across the board. Um, That building study showed that we had issues with getting building supplies certified, and in particular, those non-branded building supplies. Um, And we saw that councils really were taking a risk-averse approach to allowing non-branded supplies to be used. And we understand why, because they had been carrying that burden after the leaky building crisis. Um, So we saw a new law which extended cartel provisions to cover those land covenants. And we did see Carter Holt Harvey announce that it would no longer use them to lock out competitors from sites. And we also saw similar announcements out of the grocery industry. Um, We also saw a bit more action from the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment where it worked out it could actually tell councils, hey, you can sign off on non-branded plasterboards. And we also saw some new um, plasterboard non-branded, jib-branded names into the market and some new things sort of touched down in New Zealand and being used. Just because they're non-branded, they still have to meet certain standards, do they? 
Yeah, that's right. And there were definitely some strange vagaries that came out um, that were very particular to New Zealand. For example, uh, the idea that um, jib board had to have a structural component or element, um, which is not common in other building industries around the world. Um, So I think we have seen some interesting things pointed out. And not only that, but the government has acted on them in ways that they could. Um, Now, not everyone has been happy with these things. You know, competition lawyer Troy Pilkington said that some way, sometimes the way that these amendments had been drafted didn't didn't reflect what the legal and business community had said and were going to be issues and therefore there had been some issues and unintended consequences. Um, For example, a lot of competition lawyers said there needed to be a legitimate business justification exemption for those land covenants. Um, And he used the example of developing wind farms where he said, you know, land covenants could potentially prevent the use or prevent them having certainty to invest in new developments if they know that someone can pull up next to them and do the same thing. Uh, Now, MB is reviewing that land covenant, um, so competition lawyers are hoping there'll be perhaps a little bit of massaging around that to allow that kind of, where there's a commercial use exemption, that that can happen. Um, In terms of the market study process itself, there were definitely some gripes, uh, in particular from the supermarkets. You know, they were not happy with the timing of it. It did coincide with COVID-19 and supply chain shortages. Uh, They are costly experiences. You know, um, businesses have had to, you know, commission lawyers, consultants to write reports. They've had to have accountants. They've had to open up their books. Um, They've had to state their case and they've also had to defend their turf and there's no doubt that that has had a cost to business. And then there was a particular gripe um, with the Commerce Commission supermarket draft report um, where they used a calculation on what is called average capital employed, return on average capital employed, sorry, um, where the commission said in its draft that with the three major grocery retailers, they had this quite high return on average capital employed up above 20%. And then they contrasted that with international grocery retailers and found that they had a much lower return on average capital employed. Now, by the time we got to the end report, that number was not there and it had changed. Um, And it was down to a more reasonable, perhaps, number um, of between 12.8 and 13.1%. But the supermarkets are quite still bitter about that, I think, you know, because that idea of this excess profits, excess return on capital, Um, has really persisted Um, and they say you know despite those numbers coming down in the final report to them the damage was done Uh, and competition lawyer Russell McVeigh Troy Pilkington did highlight that as well when I talked to him and he said while it was positive that the commission had moved away from using that kind of calculation approach in its more recent market studies um, he said that the commission had been using those numbers again to inform subsequent legislative responses, um, which he was not a fan of. Uh, Now, for consumers, critics would just say they haven't done enough, they haven't gone far enough, and we haven't seen enough action. Is it the the doing of the market studies, or is it the the consequences of them? And and in whose hands do the consequences lie? Can the Commerce Commission demand things, or does that have to be political? 
I think it uh, it is a political thing, you know. Then I don't think the Commerce Commission is going to suggest things that well, pick up the government like of the, the day the, exactly, is not going to exactly. do. Exactly. So all it can do is set out a series of kind of recommendations, yeah? Yeah, that's right. And I think it is important to remember, you know, while we may see these moves as minor, they are moves and they're moves we haven't seen until this government. So, yes, we could want it to have gone further. However, the Commerce Commission does have to have a minister that wants to uh, support its recommendations. So it is playing a a fine line here. Not just a minister, but a cabinet that has to support its recommendations. Exactly. And as we're seeing now, you know, in this political campaign... um, you know, a government wants to be elected or a party wants to be elected and, and business is going to um, put its case very forcefully around regulatory interventions, are, as we've seen even with the market studies. Yeah. What are we seeing some of the other areas that really remain under the microscope, whether or not they've been under the Commerce Commission microscope? I mean, the energy um, companies remain, um, you know, top of everyone's talk, don't they? Yeah, and they are a little bit different. So while we may say, hey, we'd like to see foodstuffs, for example, split up, you know, that's a lot more complex um, in terms of their arrangements, in terms of perhaps splitting up the so-called gen tailors, you know, Mercury, Genesis Energy, um, Contact, etc., who are wholesalers, you know, they make the power and they also are retailers and competing against independent smaller firms such as Electric Kiwi and Flick. Um, the Commerce, uh, sorry, Consumer NZ's boss, John Duffy, has told me he would really like to see electricity as the next market study cab off the rank. You know, he says this government should be congratulated for market studies. It's not an overnight fix, but it is a change of direction and we've got some evidence and we're building up evidence um, that perhaps can lay out a case to achieve more competition in future, um, which does bring us into a, you know, a second change that was significant, um, which will affect perhaps the electricity industry, which was the government did introduce the Commerce Amendment Act 2022, which made changes to Section 36 of the Commerce Act, which dealt with the provision of misuse of market power. Now, previously, the Commerce Act looked at only whether a business had acted with an anti-competitive purpose, but now, under the new test, those with substantial market power are prohibited from engaging in conduct has that has or is likely to have the effect of substantially lessening competition in a market. Again, this was bringing us into line with those comparable countries like Australia. Okay. Um, so these large firms, like the energy companies, now have a special responsibility to ensure their conduct doesn't have an impact on competition and that small companies simply can't have. Um, we have actually seen now... A complaint being laid. Uh, we saw Electric Kiwi in September say that it has laid a complaint under the Section 36 about the Gen Taylor's Mercury Contact Genesis and Meridian. It says that they are abusing their market dominance and that the Commission needs to take action to protect consumers. And I do understand that Commission is looking into this case. Um, It could be fascinating. You know, we do need to see uh, some court cases um, to see how the lines are going to be drawn on this new misuse of market provision. Just quickly before we leave the Commerce Commission or the the Commerce um, uh, portfolio, um, there was another real uh, impact, wasn't it, from the Credit Contracts and Consumers Finance Mm. Act. And this was where 
The banks say, more on them in a moment, the banks say you didn't listen to us and you had a whole bunch of unintended consequences. Uh, this was the, the, the um, affected mortgage lending, although it was mainly aimed at people who were having to deal with payday lenders or that end of the, of the lending market, right, that there mm. needed to be some responsibility taken. Yeah in ensuring that people could afford the contract they were signing up to. Yeah, and look, this has been quite disastrous. I think, you know, we just saw story after story of people who had, you know, good credit, had owned homes, um, who should have been, you know, good cases to uh, be lent to. But the banks were given quite a prescriptive regime, you know, and we saw people having to show, you know, how much you spend on Uber. Um, All your sort of uh, discretionary spending has gone through with a fine tooth comb, and then people were getting knocked back from being um, lent money to. Um, So the government did have a few cracks at sort of tweaking this, um, but we saw the Commerce and Consumer Affairs Minister Duncan Webb announced this year basically that it looks like it's going to do a really wide-ranging review and basically walk back a lot of those changes yeah. altogether. Okay, is things like hammers and nuts um, come to come to mind? <laughs> um, as in cracking nuts with a hammer. Now, uh, look, the banks. There's a lot of focus on them at the moment. You were talking about last time uh, what the Bankers Association had said, although difficult to get elaboration out of them and difficult Mm. to see how much has actually progressed beyond what we've heard previously Mm. from bank chief executives. We keep hearing how complicated it is and it's going to involve, you know, new technology and it's going to involve the utilities and all these all these reasons Mm. why it is difficult for them to be, um, you know, the the, the major actors when it comes to scams. They love to push the onus back onto consumers. And there's an element of responsibility for that, except that everybody, to one degree or another, needs banking. And some of those people are vulnerable and they can expect plenty of guardrails. An interesting take you're telling us today about the behavioural analytics side of this and how scammers operate. What is it the banks are doing in this sphere? Yeah, look, this was a fascinating interview, me trying to get my head around behavioural analytics. Um, Now I have got confirmation that one New Zealand bank is going to be introducing this. Uh, ANZ told me it is in the process of bringing this in. Now what is it? It is an Israeli behavioural biometrics company called Biocatch. Um, And now what it does is it can see changes or patterns in our habits and how we use the bank's infrastructure, such as apps or their web pages. Um, Now, Biocatch embeds a snippet of code in the back of the bank's website and basically gets all this anonymized data which shows how we are clicking, how we are swiping, how we are using our mouse. And they build up a picture and then share that data with their behavioral analysts who can work out what's normal for me, Rebecca, as I use use my bank app. So for example, I may normally log into my bank app, check my balance, add a new payee, and then make a payment without lots of gaps and pauses. Now what this biotech technology can do, it can detect deviations from my normal customer behavior. So for example, the kinds of things they are looking for is pausing and waiting for instructions 
instructions from a scammer on where to pay money. So I got given the example of that when we're making a legitimate payment, we would usually have that bank account on hand and be able to input that quickly, tapping away on our phones. But if you are being coached through a payment process by a scammer, um, you could have lots of pauses. They can actually see in three-dimensional space what you're doing with your phone. You might be taking your phone up to your ear, getting told four digits by the scammer, and then you put your phone back down again and tap in those digits. Um, so it's quite fascinating. The phones basically give out data on how we move them through what are called gyroscopes and accelerometers. Um, so if we rotate our phone to flip the screen, the display might flip to match, or we might see these things in use. If you're playing a game on your phone, you know, where you tilt or move the phone to move a ball around. So bio catch is actually looking at what we're doing. They know perhaps if we're using our phone normally in the left hand or the right hand or if we tap with our thumbs um, and it, it finds out interesting things like men apparently tap their screens harder. You know, some people use longer scrolls with their fingers. Um, and then there are other interesting things where they're actually looking for an absence of swiping and tapping as we're on our apps. So there are actually scammers have soft programs that can pretend to be 30 mobile phones. And because they're just software programs, there's no real humans swiping and tapping. Um, so the scammers will be using mouses and keyboards to enter data and click on things. So Biocatch can potentially see that, hey, there's no swiping and, swiping and tapping happen happening here, even though it's meant to be a phone on the app. Um, so it's quite extraordinary technology. It really is. And yeah. then what would happen? It would trigger a, uh, your bank contacting you, yeah? Yeah, so that's right. So um, Biocatch, uh, it doesn't know who we are. It just sees this anonymized data. It then feeds that data if it's seeing things that it thinks are worrying to our bank. And then it really is up to the bank. They will sort of merge that Biocatch data with their own data about us that they already know. Um, and so then they could, you know, choose to flag it to us or, you know, they could do different things, maybe give us a call. Um, they are always weighing up, you know, how much to interfere with our banking process, how many warnings to give us. You know, they don't want to flag up everything so yeah, that we sure. become... And also, you know, there's a cost to that if they do, if they um, if they are over. and uh, there's, there's stuff you can do automatically, right? So uh, there's been some odd behaviour, so I get a text saying, yes. hey... And again, this is the next kind of moral hazard as you get the text pretending to be your bank and you're thinking, OK, who's <laughs> pretending to be my bank? But if it's something as straightforward as, you know, we have noticed some uh, whatever. I don't know how you would couch it, actually. Um, and they would probably want to alert customers to exactly how they are going to couch it. But the bottom line would be you then go in legitimately through the front door, which is always the secret, isn't it? You don't exactly. click on the link. You go in Never through the front could. door, be it your phone app or your online uh, internet banking and and see what um, see if anything's amiss. Uh, yeah, interesting and development. And when's that rolling out? One bank is it? Well, ANZ. Look, I know one bank has it in action at the moment. I don't know who they are because, as Biocatch told me, often the banks don't want the scammers to, to know because then they'll um, just start. 
finding ways to hack into it or something. <laughs> exactly. And they're really <laughs> yeah. good at that. You know, they are experts. It's their job. Um, but ANZ, they didn't say the word biocatch, um, but they told me they are in the process of introducing a world-leading biometric technology and that they will have this in place by 2024. Uh, in Australia, all of the big four are biocatch customers. And in the UK, Barclays and HSBC are also using this okay. technology. So, again... Um, Hurry up already, but um, but progress. (laughs) We'll take progress. Thank you very, very much. That is Rebecca Stevenson. She's with interest.co.nz.